So I felt, I guess, the sword as a reminder in thinking about how we forge our own community or continue to do so. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, Natalie Owens-Pike, Yale Divinity School Class of 2023 MDiv. In this episode, we have Felicity Harley McGowan, lecturer in the history of art at Yale Divinity School, talking with Bruce Gordon, Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History at Yale Divinity School. They'll be discussing Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39, which is appointed for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, year A. Let's listen in. Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The passage throws up so many threads here that are at once inviting and uh, at the same time repelling. I I do, I love this vivid image of of the sparrows, of these humble birds that are very common and uh, numerous in in the Roman world. The the poultry of the poor, I think they've been described as as a an animal to set on one side to almost humorously demonstrate just how valuable we are 
to the father and then set aside this this other almost humorous image of the the hairs on our head. I think this is something that I I sort of remembered as a child as this extraordinary image to illustrate just how valuable you were to God. But then these these other very difficult statements about what one must do in order to to be a disciple of Christ. There's some very challenging ideas and yet taken as a whole, I think, in context, perhaps these force us to think more radically about what our own discipleship might mean and what it meant for for the disciples themselves at this period in terms of enunciating what a new order would look like, what turning away from the old social and political norms in the Roman world, uh, what turning away from those would would look like. And it would certainly bring a new dimension to life, but it set aside what was familiar. It was it was a radical turning to something mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. I could I could well imagine here that the preacher putting there contemplating writing their sermon and reading this passage would feel somewhat perplexed as to what good news could be brought from it, because it's going to take a lot of hard work, as you say, to arrive at that good news, because we have here almost a checklist of difficult statements, as you were pointing out. We have this lovely image of the sparrow, but it's it's sort of framed by a whole series of other deeply problematic statements that don't give us a kind of warm Jesus, but rather a Jesus who is speaking in in pretty often harsh terms. The, it opens with students and slaves and their relationship to masters and the difficult statement that they are not above their teachers or masters, but should seek to be like them, whatever that means. We're told that nothing is hidden and all will be made known. Well, what does that mean? Because, you know, for those of us in this world as Christians, there's a great deal that remains unknown. So what what's that referring, referring to? Is this some future moment or is it in the next life? We're told here uh, of being afraid of of the devil. There is Christ telling us that if we fail to acknowledge him, he will fail to acknowledge us Mm. in front of the Father. So a very clear statement about judgment. And then there is this statement that, that he comes not to bring peace, but the sword, which again can be very disconcerting. We talked in another place about when Peter speaks in Acts about Christ being the peace of God, well, now we're told that he's not bringing peace, but bringing a sword. And the idea of Jesus with a sword is is very uncomfortable. And then this last passage about the family, where we're warned that if we love our parents more than Jesus, that he will reject us again. So we have a, a, a lot of judgment, a lot of grounds for being rejected and statements that I could imagine most preachers thinking, I'm not sure how I make good news out of out of this. It's going to take a lot of hard work. I guess that, that turns on to us, doesn't it? That here we have outlining in a sense of the destruction of the old community and the creation of the new. 
And in Jesus' time, that's a new community forged in the light of persecution. So that's it's difficult for us. I guess some references here to to the devil and to evil and so forth are pointing to that sense of of unseen forces. But of course there are the seen forces of Romans or of individuals who who did actively persecute them. So I felt, I guess, the sword as a reminder in thinking about how we forge our own community or continue to do so, what's standing up for for those who continue to be persecuted or to experience being downtrodden? What does it look like to to support and enfold them into community? And sometimes that may take a sword to to structures that imprison or or repress or oppress them. But you're right, it's 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 very difficult and very vivid imagery and in, in a sense in its its checklist nature has an almost it reinforces the 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 vigor of yes. Yes, it's not sort of beautiful flowing prose here. It's 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 a <laughs> no. kind of staccato. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. If if you don't do this, this will happen. Exactly. And you feel a little bit like you've just been sort of jolted when you when you read this, and you think, uh, "Wow, I'm I'm not sure that I'm going to measure up here." And and uh, you know, it's not very warming to think that uh, that you know Jesus is telling us that if you don't do this, then I'm not going to acknowledge you. No. And I think this last, the last two verses are particularly unhelpful in that respect in terms of evoking what we think is a reference to crucifixion or is often taken to be such so that we have to go through all of this. You know, we have to be against father and mother and so forth, but then we also have to take up our own cross. So we have to, in in forging this, creating this new community, <laughs> then we still have to go on a path to crucifixion. But to my mind, it's not necessarily saying that we ourselves must take on this cross that pertains to our own crucifixion. People can read different things into this, but that that we must take up our own challenges, if you like, and, and carry them. And they may for us be akin to a kind of experience of death, but that that might be something that's life-giving for others in a sense, that that this imagery of carrying your great big wooden cross on your shoulder and, you know, we all I think have had friends who've likened some sort of negative experience in their life to something they have to do because they have to carry their cross. But in actual fact, this this could be a more liberating. Yes. So there's this, this this sense here, which is that you know, in doing this, in in, in taking up your cross, you're being worthy of Christ. And it, again, it's it's challenging because you think, um, are we comparing ourselves to to this crucifixion here? In is there a comparison between our lives and and this moment? But I I like you said, I you know, I, str- I I remember as a child encountering this passage and and this idea of that you that if you love your you almost take it as if you love your parents too much this is a bad thing <laughs> and 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 how could this possibly be the case given that Jesus supposedly had a wonderful relationship with his parents even if he you know went and hid from them at one at one point but in thinking about this i i wonder if there's a way of reflecting on it that he's it's not actually either Jesus on the one hand or your parents no 
on the other, which is what can so easily be the impression the text gives, that you have to choose between one or the other. But perhaps it's more along the lines is that we should love our parents, our friends, those who are close to us in Christ, you know, that, that Christ is is the way to love them rather than as an alternative. So I don't know, but this is, in reflecting on the passage this time, I think that it's it, Christ is actually pointing us to the way in which our family, our friends, our relationships should be rather than, you know, setting ourselves towards something that involves preferring something to Christ. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our professors for your insights on the scripture. The transcript of this audio and lots more Bible study resources are available at YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School and is produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, executive producer Helena Martin, and me, your host, Natalie Owens-Pike. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season. Season.